if, if Jesus was to write a letter to our church, the Chapel Sydney, what do you think he'd say? What do you think he'd say? I, I, I mean, thinking about this. And we're, we're in Revelations and, and Revelation and we, Jesus is going to write seven letters to seven churches. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at each of these letters. And I just thought, what would Jesus say to us as a church? You know, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Um, but what we're going to do is over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the seven letters that were written by Jesus through John, the author, to seven of the largest Jesus communities in that local area. Now, I want to give you some context um, before we get into it. I know last week we introduced the book of Revelation. But these letters, and, and, and they, they all follow a basic structure. And so every week you're going to see this basic structure. Okay, so there's four things that, that we see in most of these letters. Okay, so the first one is each letter is going to start with, um, the first one is the Lord's self-designation. I don't know if I have this. Do I have this as a list? I think I do. Yeah. So the first one is the Lord's self-designation. So each of the letters, Jesus is going to start with, this is who I am. This is, this is my description of myself. And then he's going to talk about the commendation. He's going to praise that church for the things that they are doing well. And then he's going to bring about condemnation and warning for the things that the church isn't doing well. And then he's going to finish up the letter with, with a promise, a promise that is given to that church for the future. Now, you're going to see this structure over the next seven weeks, okay? So the first letter that we're going to go through today is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. Um, and it's a letter written to the church in Ephesus, right? Which is, which is awesome because we just finished the series in Ephesians, okay? So let's read together Revelations 2, chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to read off the screen. To the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Oh, that'd be so awesome if Jesus could write that to us. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So let's go through those four categories. So the first one, the Lord's self-designation. Okay, so we read in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him, 
Okay? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, Jesus begins to describe himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, last week we mentioned, right, in Revelation, what we're going to see is a lot of imagery and symbolism. Okay, so I'm going to start to introduce that to you uh, in this series, but next year when we go to the rest of the, the book of Revelation, there's going to be a lot more, so we're going to do a lot more with it. But the number seven, okay, the, the number seven represents perfection, okay? So what Jesus is saying is that he holds spiritual perfection in his hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now the golden lampstands, which is actually mentioned in Revelation 1, it represents the seven churches. Now, this is what a, this is what the lampstand, what a lampstand looks like. You've probably seen this before, okay? So it's like a candlestick holder, but it's got seven, and you've got the seven candles, right? Now, this is a golden. This is a lampstand. Now, what the seven candles or the or the seven um, golden lampstands represent are the seven churches, okay? That represent the church. Okay. Now, Jesus is going to write to each of these churches individually. Okay, but this is where the picture of, 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 of this is the, the scenery that Jesus is portraying. Now, why, why does Jesus mention this? Right? It, it's, this, it's this idea that not only is there this, the church, okay, but Jesus holds the seven stars in his hands. He holds spiritual perfection in his hands. He is spiritual perfection. And secondly, he walks. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. He walks amongst the church. See, one thing that we need to understand is that the Jesus that we know and the Jesus that we worship is not someone that is far, far away, but actually he walks amongst us and actually can be known personally. There is a personal touch in who Jesus is. We don't know Jesus just as a theory or some kind of myth. No, but we know him as a person. Okay? So the second thing is uh, commendation, verse 2 and 3. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not but have, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship in, uh, for my name and have not grown weary. Once again, just read those first words. I know your deeds. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the one that died on the cross, writing a letter to the church saying, Hey, I know you. I know what you've done. I know what you're going through. This personal Jesus. A lot of people, a lot of people do not believe in Jesus because they have not been able to swallow the idea that Jesus wants a personal relationship. They just see church and Jesus as a set of rules and a religion, but it's not. Jesus is all about being personally known to you and you being personally known to him. I know your deeds, I know your hard work, and I know your perseverance. That's it. What an amazing line. Imagine if Jesus said, hey, chapel, I know you guys. I know your hard work. I know that you've been, you know, running crazy to build this church. I know you've been persevering. I know that you come early to set up. I know that you stay back to throw out the rubbish after everyone's gone. I know that you do this even when you don't feel like it. What a statement of comfort 
and praise. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. What an amazing line. What an amazing thing that Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. He's lavishing them with praise. You know, sometimes we, uh, because uh, most of us are of Asian descent, you know, we're not very good with praise. You know, because we didn't really grow up with much praise. We, we grew up with praiseworthy critique. That's what we grew up with, right? You know, and they're saying, you know, being a parent, they're saying that I, I have to um, intentionally do is to praise my children for the things that they do well. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus and we think of, man, like every time it's just like, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. And we read these verses, we realize it's not just all critic and all criticism. But actually, Jesus lavishes praise as well. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice to know that Jesus isn't just this, you know, this school headmaster just like, you know, cracking his whip and do this and do this. No, he, he recognizes the good as well. He's not someone that's far, but he's someone that really knows us. Really knows us. But then we also have the condemnation and warning, right? Verse 4 and 5. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What Jesus is saying is you have forgotten your first love. In the Greek, it actually says you have lost your first love. What's Jesus saying? What he's saying is this. He can recognize the good. He can recognize the good work, the hard work, the good deeds, the perseverance of the church in Ephesus. But what he also recognizes is that it's become deeds, hard work, and perseverance without heart, without love. It's like Jesus is saying here, You've forgotten the reason why you do everything that you do. You've forgotten the reason why you do church the way you do, why you read scripture, why you study, why you worship. You've forgotten the why. And it must have been severe because Jesus says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. He says, repent. Now, the word repent gets thrown around a lot in the church, and we think of repent as being a very uh, complicated word, but the word repent actually just means to turn the other way. So when you're living a life of sin, when you repent, you actually just turn your life around, not towards sin and away from God, but you turn it back to God. That's what repentance is. It's not some complicated word. But he warns the church, if you do not repent, you will be in trouble of having your lampstand being removed. If you do, this is, the, this is to the church in Ephesus. If you do not repent, you are, in, you are in trouble of being taken out as a church. Very severe. We're going to come back to this. Finally, the uh, promise, verse 7. Whoever has ears, ears, hears. And whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is, the, which is in the paradise of God. See, the promise that Jesus gives to the church in Ephesus is, if, if you hear this, and if you respond, and if you act upon 
I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I will give you eternal life in my presence. Eternal life. So this is his letter to the church in, in Ephesus. And I want to really just sort of focus on, on that idea of the first love. Do you remember your first love? You know what first love is? It's something that you experience and you just hold it in your heart. It was a special time. Now, do you mind if I share my story? Well, you don't have a choice because I've got the microphone. I still remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> 2001, first year university, just finished high school. Suddenly, my eyes were open to the big world. I was, um, it was a scary world, but I put myself out there and, and one of my friends said to me, hey, someone I want you to meet. And I still remember it. I was so nervous. I was in class and we finished class and so our friends and ourselves, we got in the car and I remember just being quiet in the car and I'd never seen, I'd never heard and, and I got there. And I still remember that night so clearly. It was right next to the beach. We walked in and I just remember sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and then finally, finally that moment when I first met my first love. Every sense in my body was just heightened and I tell you, I just say it straight up, she was smoking hot smoking hot i could literally see the heat radiating and the smell i will never forget that smell beyond any perfume that money can make and the tastes and i still remember putting my lips around that taste of that wonderful barbecue sauce of my very first hurricane ribs <laughs> This is one of my first loves. Oh, let's pray. That's it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I legit still remember it like it was yesterday. It, this And still is one of my all-time favorite foods. If you want to take me out to dinner, Hurricane Ribs, the original at Bondi, please. You all got uncomfortable when I said taste, eh? You are just <laughs> sickos, mate. It's the thing about, it, it, there's something about that first love. Now, I was talking to my wife about this sermon, and, and she goes, okay, I'll go, we're going to talk about first love. And she's, ooh, are you going to talk about Lisa? And I was like, no, I'm not going to talk about Lisa. Because she wasn't my first love. She was my first heartbreak, okay? And I'm still bitter about that. So, Lisa, if you're listening to the podcast, just joke. But I do want to talk to you about my ultimate first love, and his name is Jesus. I was 12 years old. I just finished primary school, and I went to big high school camp as you know, most of us do, who grew up in the church. And I went to play 
because I was in year seven, I was 12 years old, everyone was older, this is the big brand, what, you can just leave that up there, I think it's just, it just enhances the sermon, everyone's just enjoying the view. <laughs> Focus, Albie, right here, mate. <laughs> so I went along to this high school camp, and, and you know, I was in year seven, all the way to year 12, and I had these older brothers and sisters, and I had so much fun. And there were sermons, and I didn't care about the sermons, because they were a waste of time, because they were, they were ruining my game time. You know, and so we went to camp and we had our own little groups and you play games and you do drama. And because I was the youngest boy, I was the guinea pig and they dressed me up in a whole bunch of things. And, and that, that's just life. And it was so fun. I got to play with these older guys and older girls and, you know, who, who actually cared about me because they were in the group. And, you know, it, it was just, we just went to play. And it was a four day camp. And I remember first night came and went. Second night, you know, the, the, the revival meeting's happening and people start crying. I'm like, what's going on here? Why are they crying? They're praying. Why are they praying? No idea. And it came around the third night and it was the last night. And the same thing happened, sermon. And then there was a time of response, prayer. And... Um, and I just remember sitting there going, oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. There's games after this. There's cup noodles after this. You know, my mum never lets me eat cup noodles, but I've eaten five, you know. You know, I was just excited. And, you know, and, and I remember just sitting there going, oh, when's this going to finish? And there's this interesting moment that happened. And, and, and there was this guy in my group who was in year 10. Now, you can imagine when you're in year 7, someone in year 10 is like halfway to God, Right? They're like, you are so awesome and you're talking with me, you know, you're talking to me and I get to hang out with you. And so like, you know, I just became his little pleb and he's like, go get me water. Yes, and I'd love it. And you know, and what was cool about this guy was he was a family friend. So I knew him quite well. And, and you know, like during the sermons, he'd just sit there, you know, just listen, pray, put his head down. Amen and get on and play. And I thought, yeah, yeah, we're in the same boat. We don't care about this service stuff. We just want to play. So we get to the final night, and they get to the time of prayer and response. And this interesting thing happens. This big year 10 guy just gets down on his knees and starts praying. And I'm watching because it's like I'm fascinated. I'm, it's like I'm watching the Discovery Channel. What's going on here? Like literally, he's right there. And he gets on his knees and he starts praying. And as he's praying, he starts bawling, starts crying, starts weeping. Now, you've got to imagine, this is a big guy, a big year 10 guy. And I'm just like confused as a 12-year-old kid, right? Like, What's going on? And at that moment, I thought, hmm, maybe I should listen to the sermon. Maybe I should listen to the preacher. So, I sort of looked up and, and the preacher was still, you know, leading people in prayer. And, 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 and I started listening. And I remember he just said three lines. He says, you are a sinner. You need to repent of your sin. Jesus loves you. And he said it again. You are a sinner. 
You need to repent from your sin. Jesus loves you. And I heard those lines over and over and over. And there was this moment. There was this moment. I grew up in the church. So 12 years of children's ministry. I was that kid that knew all the answers. But I knew it all here. And that moment, that moment came where everything that I had learned about Jesus, about God, about the Bible, just clicked. It just clicked. And suddenly it wasn't about just some story of of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of some people and that those people needed to repent so that they could have life with Jesus for eternity. No, it became about me. And I realized that all the stories about all the sinners was actually about me. And that when Jesus died on the cross to save people from their sins, it wasn't just all the people that he died for, that he died for me. And then the night got to be blurry. Because then I remember then getting on my knees and praying a prayer of repentance. Now, it was a very innocent prayer. I was a very innocent 12-year-old kid. I still remember God. You know, and I started confessing my sin, you know, disobeying my parents, fighting with my sister, you know, kicking the dog, you know, like innocent sins, right? But there is this moment in my life that I realized that God loves me and the way that I need to respond is I need to love him back. See, that's my first love. See, what's interesting about a first love is it really changes everything from that moment. I can never eat ribs anywhere else except hurricanes. It's just not good enough because of that one experience that I had. You know, my, my purpose in my life and my mission. You know, people ask me, like, did you, ever, did you always want to be a pastor? I said, no. Who, who, who grows up wanting to be a pastor, right? Do pastors make millions of dollars? No. Well, then I don't want to be a pastor. You know, I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be famous, you know? I wanted to be a Kudos Bank Arena of 20,000, you know, screaming girls, you know, screaming my name with, like, you know, the traffic light things going, you know? Steve Cha, Steve Cha, you know, like, I wanted to do that. You know, when I was in year 10, I wanted to be, I was so specific, I wanted to be the marketing manager of Coca-Cola Asia Pacific. I was so specific on what I wanted to do. And yet, it's because of my first love of Jesus that changed the trajectory of my life. It changed the projection of where I was going to end up. See, for many of us, we've had a similar experience with Jesus. And when you have that experience, it, it literally, it changes you. It changes the way you view yourself. It changes the way you view your, your, the people around you. It changes the way you view your future. Because 
It becomes the reason for why you do what you do. Everything that I do in my life, I do because of this first love, because it affected me that much. But the problem is this. We have those moments where we had that first moment and time went on. Life went on and then you forget about it. And then, you know, and then you don't think about it much. And then you just keep doing what you're doing and you kind of forget why you do what you do. See, there's nothing wrong with serving the church. There's nothing wrong with giving. There's nothing wrong with worship. But if you don't know why you're doing that, and this is what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus. I love your hard work. I love your perseverance. I love everything that you've been doing. But you've forgotten why. You've forgotten the heart behind it. And now, it's just routine. It's just part of what you do on a Sunday. You've got no heart. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have lost your first love. Now, I want to be really specific here now and speak to some of you that really need to hear this. You're living your so-called Christian life with no heart. Some of you are here, and you're here because it's Sunday. You're here because it's church time. You're here because you need to tick a box off in your life to say, I went to church today. Now I can get on with the rest of my life. You know, you come, you go through the motions, you go to life, you serve, you might even give, you might even worship, but then a passion. It's just something that you do. Your heart is elsewhere. It's in the world, it's in the things of this world, and it's definitely not for Jesus. And for those in the same way Jesus calls the church in Ephesus, I'm going to call you, you need to repent. You need to turn around and come back to that place of your first love. And if you choose not to repent, if you choose to continue your life just doing these religious acts, these practices, these moral obligations, Jesus says it loud and clear. He will come and remove the lampstand. It's not an empty thread. It's just consistent with who Jesus is. Jesus is just saying, just be consistent with your life. It was so simple back then when Jesus was everything. You know, there was a time, right? And I'm sure you've been through this or most of you have been through this. There was a time where you could literally say, there is nothing more important than Jesus in my life. You looked at the cross and you looked at what Jesus did for you. You saw your, your dirty sin and you saw that, that Jesus' blood uh, was shed and his body was broken for your sin and, and because of that he gave you eternal life and you sat there and you really thought about it and go wow none of my friends would die for me but this God he died for me wow I'm going to give my life to him and there was a point there was a point where you were like I'm all in but then what happened life happened 
you got older. You're not a student anymore. You have to go to work. You have to earn money. You got married. You got kids. You got responsibilities. And suddenly, suddenly, that simplistic idea to say that God is my one and all, I'm all in, suddenly became, oh, God, I'll give you some of my week. God, I'll give you some of my time. Jesus, thanks for dying on the cross, but I, I, I just give you part of my heart. Because I just need to go through the motions. And, and what Jesus is saying, look, I acknowledge that you're doing what you're doing, but if you've got no heart, if you've forgotten the reason of why you're doing it, then you're missing the point. Friends, the reason we live, the reason why we do what we do, the reason why we gather is all because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And our response is not just to say thank you, but our response when Jesus says to us, I love you, when he died on the cross, is for us to say, I love you too, with the surrendering of our whole lives. This is the first love. So tonight I want to address two groups of people. Firstly, you know, for some of you, you've never met this Jesus personally. You know, you, may, you might be coming to church, you might be hearing about this Jesus, and you've never met him personally. And, and what I want to um, introduce you to is this personable Jesus. He's not just some, you know, some, some crazy idea in the universe that, that, you know, we sort of have an idea about who he is. and we don't. No, no, no. You can actually know him. Because he actually knows you. He knows you by name and he loves you. It's crazy. It's crazy this idea that he knows what you're going through and he cares about you. And he loves you so much he offers you forgiveness of sins, a new life and a new eternity. He invites you to repent. To, to repent from a way of living your life away from God, to repent, to turn, to do the U-turn, and to come back to Him and say, you know what, God, I, I repent of my sins and my, my rebellion, and I'm going to come back to you. It's not an obligation, it's not a, a religion, but it's a relationship. That's what, that's what Jesus is about. It's about a relationship. And it's so simple. Someone once asked me, what do I need to do to become a Christian? How many courses do I need to go through? How many days do I need to go to church? How many prayers do I need to pray to actually become a Christian? And I was like, I don't know about courses, but there's one prayer, one decision, and that's it. And some people, they don't believe because it's too easy. And I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, sometimes we don't understand God's grace and God's love. And that's because that's God. We're trying to understand it in our own humanistic minds. But this is the truth that God loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to be a part of your life. But he wants you to turn back to him. So maybe tonight you want to make that decision. I'll give you an opportunity to do that later. So that's the first group. But secondly, the second group, I think similar to the church in Ephesus. 
to the people that have been coming to church week in, week out. But maybe you've lost your first love. I believe tonight, I believe God is speaking to you and asking you, hey, come back. Repent and come back. Rediscover. Rediscover that time, that passion. You know, there was a time, you know, usually when you first meet God personally, and then you, you can't contain it, you can't hold it, and so you're just like talking to everyone. Hey, I became a Christian on the weekend. What are you doing tomorrow? Let me talk to you about Jesus. You know, like start from A, B, C. And, and it's like that. Why? Because Jesus has flipped your life upside down. There's nothing in this world that will do that. But then time went on. Life went on. You got busy. You got distracted. Your passions had to be diverted. So you still go to church. You still serve. You still give. But there's no heart. You barely speak with him. You barely spend time with him throughout the week because you're so busy running around. It's just all routine. There's no heart. So for you, if, if you're in that category, tonight you need to repent and come back to where you found your first love. And our first love lies in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loves us. Friends, I pray that our church, collectively, that we would never forget our first love. 